Someone just said as I came up here, okay, this is it. Don't get scared now. And suddenly I'm like completely nervous. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we love you. And uh, it is really a privilege beyond what we can imagine that we can come together as the body of Christ, the local church, and in community sing to you out of hearts that maybe are overwhelmed with your grace and your mercy and your love, but maybe this morning our hearts are not overwhelmed with that. Maybe, maybe as Clay said, we're just struggling to get through the morning so far. But God, we, we can come together, together, and love you and sing to you and worship you because you are so worthy. And God, you have uh, given us your word to give us direction and guidance. You've given us your spirit to lead and to prompt, to challenge and to convict and to comfort. And we would humbly ask this morning that both your word and your spirit would just work in each of us right now, that you would right now invade our reality, our minds, our hearts, our wills, and that we would just be very sensitive and open to what you want to say to us this morning. And we thank you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to our ninth annual Question and Answer Sunday. About nine years ago, we, uh, we did a Sunday morning series called Tough Questions, Five Tough Questions, during which we uh, tackled a single tough question uh, for five different weeks. And it has become sort of a summer tradition around here. And so this is the, the ninth year that we are doing this. Uh, over the, the past almost decade, we've received over 600 questions from you. And we've interacted with about 30 or 40 of those uh, each summer. And uh, the last couple of years, we've changed it just a little bit in that we've given you about a dozen or 15 questions and asked you to, to sort of rank the top three or four or five of those. And then uh, we've uh, managed to deal with those. Just last year, uh, we dealt with, is it okay to drink alcohol? Uh, how can I know God has forgiven me? How can I enjoy entertainment without distracting myself from Jesus? Uh, are we living in the end times? And what does God say about divorce? So uh, quite uh, a number of tough topics that we addressed last year. Well, this year, uh, more so than in, I think, years past, we were both not very surprised at what ranked as the top uh, four questions. And then on the other hand, we were very, very shocked at what ranked as the top four questions. Uh, the question that we're going to deal with first this morning, uh, we're just going to deal with two. The first one we're going to deal with first is a question that has ranked as one of the top questions every single year that we've done that. And that is... Um, are we in the end times? What's the deal with the end times? And so every year we explain that, and we're going to take just about five minutes or so to, to walk you through that this morning. But I want to spend the bulk of our time on what was the number one question that you marked that you would most like to uh, uh, deal with and dialogue about, and that was, uh, how do I know if I'm good enough to get to heaven? And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning on that. Next week, we're going to deal with two more questions. Is everything black and white, or are there gray areas in the Bible? And we're also going to deal with, can evolution and Christianity coexist uh, for those of us that follow Christ? So uh, that's next week. But this week, we want to deal, first of all, with what's the, what's the deal with the end times? Uh, it's interesting that in every generation since Jesus walked the face of the earth, the people in that generation who ascribed 
to Christianity or who followed God, who were God-fearers or, who, or who, were, who were followers of Jesus, the people in every generation has thought that their time period was definitely the end times. Uh, technically, when you look at Scripture, uh, the Bible considers the time between Jesus' first coming, a little over 2,000 years ago, and the time when he will come back for a second time, the second advent. The Bible considers that entire time period to be the end times or the last days, if you will. So technically speaking, from a biblical standpoint, we are in the last days. We are in the end times. We don't know how long this time period is going to last. It is, it is moving toward the culmination of history and time as we know it, but uh, we are somewhere in that particular time frame. From our perspective as Christ followers, the event that will sort of initiate what we think of when we think of the end times uh, is something known as the rapture, uh, the rapture of the church. And uh, once that event takes place, and the Bible teaches that it is an imminent event, in other words, it could happen at any moment, nothing has to precede it, it could happen today, it might happen a hundred years from now, it might happen a thousand years from now. Uh, nothing must happen first for it to take place, but once that event takes place, uh, over the course of uh, about seven years, and then over the course of about a thousand years, uh, time as we know it will wind down. And so, let me just... If, direct your attention to the screen, and we're going to walk you through real quick uh, a timeline for what we think of when we think of the end times. Again, the first coming of Christ technically started that period known as the end times, and we are now in what is known as the church age. And the church age began in Acts chapter 2, and will go on until that event, which is the rapture, which will uh, take the church and everyone who is part of the church, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of the church, uh, it will take uh, all of us who are, who are Christ followers to be with him, we'll meet him in the air. And then following that, the next event will be what is known as the judgment seat of Christ. This is when people who are followers of Christ will be judged according uh, to uh, their deeds, not to see if they will go to heaven, but to see what kind of rewards uh, they will receive. Uh, the Bible refers to these as crowns that we will then give back to Christ in worship of him. Uh, the following event uh, will be a period of seven years known as the Great Tribulation Period. This is the, the time period in history when the Antichrist will come on the scene. Uh, he will, for about three and a half years, uh, promise peace and prosperity such as the world has never seen. Uh, he will become a friend to Israel. He will set up a one-world government. He will set up a one-world economy. He will set up a one-world religion. And the world in its entirety will basically follow his lead, except for, for those uh, who become followers of Christ during this time, who weren't when the rapture happened. If they had been, they would be with Jesus now. Uh, they will resist him. And then about year three and a half, midway through, uh, Daniel tells us that the Antichrist will change his colors. And who he really is will become known, and it will, he will begin a time of intense persecution, such as the world has never known. Uh, there will be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, and the world system as we know it uh, will radically change during this seven-year period of time. And he will rule and reign as the Antichrist uh, for those seven years, and then following that seven-year reign, the Bible says that Jesus will come back. He will come back for a second time. Uh, this is the second advent. He will return to uh, the earth, and while he is here, he will lead the armies of God and the people of God who were there, who came to follow Christ during that seven-year tribulation period in a battle known as the Battle of Armageddon. And they will, do, they will literally wage war 
with, with the armies of Satan and the demons of Satan. And at that particular time, the Bible says that Jesus will defeat Satan. And we will then usher into what is known as the millennial kingdom. Jesus will set up a physical, literal kingdom on the earth, during which time he will reign as the king for a thousand years. During that time period, Satan will be bound so that he can no longer wreak havoc. He can no longer deceive. He can no longer be the angel of light that he is today. He will be bound for the thousand years while Jesus reigns as the king on the earth in a physical, literal sense. And then the Bible says at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, the next thing that will happen will be the great white throne judgment. This is the, the time period where everyone who is not a follower of Christ will be judged and they will be, uh, actually Satan will be let loose for a very short time following the thousand-year reign of Christ and then Satan and all of those who did not follow Christ will be cast into what is called the lake of fire, uh, hell. And uh, there they will stay for all eternity, and then uh, we will enter that period. Can't say period of time because there's no longer time at this point. We will enter into what is known as e the eternal state, and we will be in that state either with Christ, with our Heavenly Father, with the Spirit, in a place known as heaven for all eternity, or we will spend that period uh, in a place called hell, apart from Christ, separated from His grace and His love and His mercy. Uh, that is, uh, just in a timeline form, the way the end times, according to Scripture, uh, will work itself out. Uh, and again, we've talked at length about this over the last number of years. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we're going to give you sort of a little reference page to take home that's got some resources and whatnot. We'll make sure we include that little uh, thing in there. And, uh, but that's it. That's the end times. So that's the deal with that. Uh, the question that I really want us to talk about this morning and focus uh, most on is the question that, again, uh, was voted on by you as the, the, the number one question that you would like to, to discuss, and that was, how do I know if I'm good enough to get into heaven? This is a very interesting question to me. Um, this is, in a sense, what we are about as a church. How do we know that we are going to get to heaven when we die? Now, that presupposes a lot of things. How do we know we can live for Christ now? How do we know we can have our sins forgiven now? Uh, how do we know that we can walk with God in the here and now? How do we know that we're going to spend eternity with Him? Um, probably, I think, the most misunderstood and most widely believed thing about heaven is that people will somehow end up there, at least in part, because they're good. This is the most misunderstood thing about the Christian faith, about the Bible, about Jesus, about the church. This is the most misunderstood and widely believed thing is that somehow, some way, because we're basically good people, we will end up in heaven. In fact, the truth is, some of us in this room, if, if, if you were to answer this question, you would conclude in your mind that heaven is not just reserved for Christians. You would conclude in your mind that heaven is also reserved for good people. Good Jews and good Buddhists and good Hindus and good Catholics and good Mormons and good Americans and good neighbors and good co-workers and good family members. Good people. 
A lot of people believe that the common denominator between all the world's religions, the common denominator between those that follow Jesus and those that don't follow Jesus, between those that, that are connected to a local church and those that aren't connected to a local church, between those that never hear the gospel as well as those that do hear the gospel, between those who, who are, are sort of good people and those that are just really morally good, just, righteous people. A lot of people believe that the common denominator that sort of ties all of those groups of people together is not a belief system. A lot of people believe that it's not the identity of their God. A lot of people believe that it's not how they worship or what they believe, but rather that they are all basically good people. In fact, if I were to ask some of us here this morning, how do you know you're going to make it to heaven? Some of you would say because you're a Christian. But some of you would say it's because I'm a Christian and... I'm a pretty good person. And I've never done anything really, 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 really wrong. And I'm a good dad. And I'm a good mom. And I'm, I'm, I'm a good neighbor. And I've never killed anyone. And, you know, I have a sense of right and wrong and morality and justice. And it's because I'm a Christian and I'm sort of good. You'd say, well, I'm not perfect, as if you had to tell anyone that, you know. See, I'm not perfect, but I know a lot of people a lot worse than I am. And the truth is, you believe in God, and you believe in Jesus, and you believe in the Bible, and you believe in the church, but if I were to ask you why you think you're going to spend eternity in heaven when you die, it would be because I'm a Christian. But in our heart of hearts, deep down inside, we think it's also at least partly because we do good things. Because we do good things. Somehow, someway, in our economy... In our way of thinking, we think that we will spend eternity in heaven, yes, because of Jesus, but also because of us. And a lot of us think that. I'm not perfect, but if anyone's going to make it, I'm going to make it because I'm a good person. I'm not perfect, but there are a whole lot of people I know that are a lot worse than I am, so therefore I'm going to make it. I'm not perfect, but I've never done anything really bad. I've never killed anyone. And this line of reasoning is so appealing to us. Why? Because deep down, every single one of us thinks we're fairly good people. Any bad people here? No. No one's going to admit to being a bad person. We all think we're good people, not bad people. And good people go to heaven and bad people go to the hot place. And that's just the way we think. We believe it. And inside of us, there's a thread that runs through that causes us to say, in addition to anything else that is responsible for us going to heaven, at least part of the reason is because I'm good. You realize that about 85% of Americans believe in heaven? Care to venture a guess as to what percentage of Americans think they're going to make it there? About 85%. If you believe in heaven, if you believe in an eternal state that is good, where you're with God and however you want to define that, if you believe that, there's a real good chance you think you're going there. And at least in part because of some intrinsic goodness in and of yourself. Why do we believe good people go to heaven? Number of reasons. We believe this is a fair system. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. I mean, you just read the Bible. Look in the Old Testament. When Israel obeyed God, what would happen? Good things. God would bless them. When Israel disobeyed God, what would happen? Bad things. God would discipline them. So therefore, a fair system must say, if I do enough good things, God's going to let me go to heaven. If I do enough bad things... He might not let me go to heaven. But even though I do some bad things, I'm still really a good person, so I'm still probably going to make it in. 
And that's the way we sort of think. It's a fair system. The second thing is you believe you'll make the cut. None of us believe that we'll miss the cut. Because we're a good person, we think we'll make it in. Another reason people believe that good people go to heaven is because it motivates us to be good. There's sort of an intrinsic motivation. If I really believe in my heart of hearts that, that me going to heaven at least in part has to do with my goodness, guess what? I'm going to try and be good. And the older you get, the more you try to be good because now we don't have as much time left to be good and to rake up all those good things so that God will let us in. And so, you know, some of us are getting on down the line here. We've got to stop being so bad and be a little gooder. That's a new word, gooder. And so it's motivating for us to be good. And, and another reason we believe that good people go to heaven is it's just very consistent with our idea of a good God. I mean, if there is a good God and He resides in a good heaven, it just makes sense that good people will go to that good heaven to be with that good God. And the way those of us who are good will get to that good heaven to be with that good God is at least in part by being good. That's just logical. That just seems so commonsensical, so practical that good people will go to heaven. But we need to realize that there are some major, major, major problems with believing that good people go to heaven. We need to realize, in fact, this has nothing to do with whether or not you believe in Christianity. This has nothing to do with whether or not you believe what New Community Church believes about God, about Jesus. About, this has nothing to do with that. In fact, take that out of it. There are still some major, major problems, far more problems than far more major problems, believing that good people will go to heaven because they're good than believing that only Christians will go to heaven. And so in the time that remains this morning, which is not much, I want to walk us through uh, what I think are two or three or four major problems with believing that you and I are going to get to heaven in some way, shape, fashion, or form because of our own goodness. The first problem is huge, and that is there is no clear standard of good and bad by which we can gauge our pro progress. There is no clear standard given to us of good and bad by which we can check our progress. And again, this is a huge deal. If good people go to heaven, then we need to know what it looks like to be good. We need to know what it means to be good, and we need to know how good is good enough so that I can ensure that I get to heaven. This is a huge problem. If my eternity hinges on my being good, then surely this good God who wants me to come to his good heaven is going to clearly tell me how good I need to be to spend eternity with him in this good place called heaven. But where does he tell us this? I mean, does, is this a scale thing? You know, as long as I'm up in the top end of the scale, I'm good enough. But if I'm at the bottom end of the scale, tough. You know, there are only so many seats. You know, is this a is this a is this a percentage thing? Does he grade on does he grade on the curve? You know, I've made a forty on a test before and passed because of that great thing known as a curve. We were all stupid, and so they curved it up. <laughs> Do I get a letter grade? You know, A's and B's. You're in heaven. C's. I don't know. What kind of cards you drop. D's, F's, you don't have a choice. You're not going to have... Is it a pass-fail system? Do I get a number grade? What's God's grading system for me getting into heaven if 
Me getting into heaven is dependent on, at least in some part, my goodness. On me being good enough to get there. Here's the deal. God never gives us that information. God never in the Bible gives us the information. And you're thinking to yourself, dummy, it's in the Bible. Did they not teach you that in that school you went to? It's in the Bible. It tells us how good we're supposed to be. Where? Well, it says love God. If you love God, I mean, surely that's good enough. How much do we need to love God? On Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week, I loved God. On Friday, I didn't love God very much. Something happened on Friday that caused me not to love God as much as I did on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Does that mean I'm out because I didn't love Him as much on Friday? Where does God tell us what the standard of good and bad is that will get us into heaven? You say, well, the Bible says love your neighbor. Uh, the Bible says don't kill anybody. The Bible says don't be greedy. The Bible says be kind. The Bible says, the Bible says all this stuff. Okay, then how much of that stuff do I need to do or not do to be good enough to get to heaven? What's the standard? What's the gauge? I mean, if the Bible is the target, if the Bible is the goal, then what is good enough? Here's the deal. If the Bible is your goal, if doing all the do's in the Bible and not doing all the don'ts in the Bible is your goal for getting to heaven, you'll never be good enough. If the Bible is your goal, if the Bible is your gauge, if the Bible is the way you're going to determine whether or not you get into heaven, you will never get to heaven. If only the people who do all of the Bible go to heaven, ain't none of us going there. Hate to pop your bubble. The Bible doesn't say, do the Bible and you'll go to heaven. In fact, what does the Bible say about goodness? Well, a couple of things. Romans 3.23, the Bible says, everyone has sinned and everyone falls short of God's glory, of God's standard, of God's target, everyone. In other words, everybody tried, nobody made it. Everybody tries to be good enough, no one's good enough. The Bible also says in Romans 3.10, there is not one righteous, not even one. In other words, there is no one good enough to go to heaven. The Bible says in Romans 3.20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. In other words, you can do the law, you can do the do's and not do the don'ts all day long and you will not go to heaven because we don't go to heaven based on a system of do's and don'ts. We don't get to heaven based on our goodness or our badness. When you die, when I die, God is not going to look at us and say, I'm going to let you into heaven because you did such a good job on earth. He's not going to say that. The Bible doesn't say he's going to say that. God didn't give us the Bible as a list of do's and don'ts to, so that we could get to heaven. He gave us the Bible so that we could understand we are really, 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 really bad. He gave us the Bible not so that we could say, oh, I'm good, but so that we could look at his perfect law and conclude I'm sunk apart from whatever he says is necessary to get to heaven. And nowhere does he say it's about keeping rules, do's and don'ts, or about the law. If you're using the Bible to somehow define what you think is good enough so you'll get to heaven, you need to know 
that the standard of the Bible is way too high for you and me. You will never be that good. I will never be that good. There is no, here's a statement. There is no relationship in the Bible between the law and where you will spend eternity. There is zero relationship in the Bible between you and I doing good things and not doing bad things and where we will spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Zero relationship. You look, there is no relationship there. There is no verse that says if you try really, really hard, you'll make it. There's no verse that says if you keep the Ten Commandments, you will go to heaven. There's no verse that says if you're just good enough and obey enough, you'll make it. God never communicates the Bible as the standard of good enough to get in heaven. And even if he did, what percentage of good do you have to be? Is it a 51% deal? If I'm 51% good and 49% bad, I'm in. Or maybe it's a 70% deal. Or maybe God's really uptight and it's like a 95% deal. There's no percentage given. And even if there were a percentage, when does it start? Does God start keeping track of our goodness and our badness when we're three? Or when we're 10? I hope he doesn't start until we're like 26 because I got a lot to make up if he did. There's nothing in the Bible about when God starts keeping track of our goodness and our badness. And on top of that, how would everything be weighted? I mean, the the reigning thing everyone says is, well, I never killed anybody. Maybe killing someone's not the worst in God's perspective. Maybe gossiping is worse than killing someone. Not for the person that dies, but for the person that does it. We're not given the standard as to this sin is worse than this sin, and this sin is worse than this sin. The Bible says it's all equally bad. Different consequences, but all equally bad. All equally sinful. And some of us have done so much bad stuff, we don't have enough time to make it up with good stuff. The Bible was not given to us as a goal or target or gauge or standard of what we had to do, how good we had to be in order to get to heaven to be with God and Jesus. And we walk away sometimes having our entire eternity hinge on stuff that we just sort of make up. You know, the bad things that I don't do that someone else does, I think in my mind, boy, God's going to judge that. That person's going to get it. The bad things that I do, oh, God understands. He knows I'm trying really, really hard. And that's the way we think. And we hinge our eternity on made-up stuff, on made-up rules, on made-up grading systems, with just a little bit of thought, with just a little bit of analysis, the argument that good people go to heaven crumbles like a house of cards. So if we think think good people go to heaven, we're sunk because none of us know where we stand in relation to good and bad. And if we think think that looking in the Bible will give us an answer, we're sunk because the Bible said no one measures up. Everyone falls short of God's standards. That's the first problem with good people go to heaven. A second problem is, is that if good people go to heaven, Jesus is a liar. If good people go to heaven, Jesus Christ is a liar. Now, even people that don't follow Christ, even people that aren't Christians, will usually not go so far as to say Jesus is a liar. They'll say, well, he was a good moral teacher. Or, you know, Jesus, what he said was good, but he's not a liar. 
Or they'll say, well, I don't think Jesus said that. Well, then you're calling him a liar. Because nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, if you're good enough, you'll go to heaven with me. Nowhere in the Bible does he say that. The best, another new word here, and goodest people in the Bible were called what? Pharisees. Pharisees. In other words, they took the Scripture and they obeyed it meticulously. They devoted their entire lives to keeping the law. They lived in such a way as to obey all the rules, to do all the do's, and they didn't do all the don'ts. But you know what Jesus had to say about the best people as it relates to being good? He says in Matthew 5.20, Unless your goodness, unless my goodness exceeds that of the Pharisees, is greater than that of the Pharisees, you're not going to heaven. Unless you're better than the best, you're not going to make it to heaven when you die. And so in Jesus' day, the best of the best were the Pharisees in terms of keeping the rules, in terms of being good, in terms of doing what they should do and not doing what they shouldn't do. But Jesus said, they're not getting to heaven based on their goodness. And then Jesus does an amazing thing. He would say, the best of the best are not going to heaven because they're good, but then the worst of the worst would walk up to Jesus and ask him to forgive them. You know what Jesus would say? You're forgiven. An adulterer would walk up to Jesus and say, I have sinned. And Jesus would say, you're forgiven. A murderer would walk up to Jesus and Jesus would confront him or her about their sin and they would repent and Jesus would say to the worst of the worst, you're forgiven. This is a weird system to me. Jesus taught that the best of the best weren't good enough and the worst of the worst, when they trusted him, were forgiven. Because Jesus did not believe that good people went to heaven. Jesus believed that forgiven people went to heaven. Jesus believed that people who had their sin problem forgiven by him were the only people who would go to heaven. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to a story in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. There's an interesting verse, uh, passage here. This is about uh, Jesus, and he is on the cross at this particular point. And there are two thieves or criminals also on crosses, one on his left and one on his right. And the Bible says this in Luke 23, verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the uh, criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now, this is an interesting verse because of the little word criminal there. This is a word that is, that is not used much in the Bible. It's used mostly in extra-biblical literature, and it, it's translated in extra-biblical literature as the word pirate. In other words, these, these men weren't just criminals. They were literally the worst of the worst. They were like pirates. The Romans would not even take pirates as slaves and use them shackled together to row their ships. They were so bad, so reprobate, so pagan that the Romans would have nothing to do with them. This is the word that Luke uses here. And Luke was a doctor. He was very meticulous about his terminology. He could have said thief. He could have said robber. He could have said another word for criminal, but he uses this word for literally the worst of the worst criminals. 
And they're hanging on crosses next to Jesus. Look at the next verse, verse 34. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. And there was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said to the other criminal, since you are under the same sentence? And then he makes this statement. He says, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, meaning Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And then the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is an interesting story, not only for what it says, but for what it doesn't say. Jesus doesn't ask his heavenly father while they're hanging on the cross to help make these criminals, these these pirates better. He doesn't ask the father to do that. Rather, he says, Father, please forgive them. Jesus doesn't tell him, the criminal, that he's too bad to get to heaven. Rather, he forgives him when he asks. The criminal then doesn't turn around and say, you know, from this point on, Jesus, I'm going to become a different person. I'm a changed man. I'm going to be really good from this point on. I'm going to undo all the bad that I did, and I'm just going to spend the rest of my life doing good things because you have forgiven me. Do you realize that the criminal doesn't do that? Why? Because he's at the end. He has no time to do good things. He has no time left on the earth. He is dying. In just a few minutes, he will be dead. And the last thing on his mind is to somehow become good. Because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Nothing he could do or not do at this point would get him to heaven. What got him to heaven, what got him to paradise, what got him into the presence of the Father was the fact that he asked Jesus to forgive him and Jesus said, you're forgiven. That's the second problem with believing that good people go to heaven is that it makes Jesus out to be a liar. Third problem, and we'll wrap up, is that the Bible says our goodness will send us to hell. Our goodness, our best will always send us to hell only god's forgiveness through christ gets us to heaven you see christianity teaches that only forgiven people go to heaven not good people and when we throw ourselves on god's mercy when we recognize our lack of goodness when we recognize who jesus really is then we become a child of god when we step across the line of faith not by doing good things But by asking Jesus to forgive us and by placing our trust in him, the Bible says that is the sole determining factor as to whether or not we will go to heaven. Now you think about this. Nothing in the world could be more merciful and more gracious than that system. Christianity is the most fair, most just, most gracious faith system in the world. 
And the world is completely unfair and unjust and ungracious. It is fair. The Bible says everybody is welcome. Everybody. Romans chapter um, 10 verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. It doesn't just say Americans. It doesn't just say good people. It doesn't just say people that are sincere. It says anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the fairest system on the planet. Everybody is welcome. It's also the most just system because everybody gets to heaven the same way. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't work your way there. You can't be good enough. You can't worship another God. You can't do something on your own. Only through Him, Jesus says, will you have access to the Father. No one comes to God except through Jesus. Everybody gets in the same way. This is incredibly just. It's also incredibly gracious. The Bible says that every single person on the planet can meet the requirements. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He so loved you, He so loved me, He so loves people that we don't even know, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes, the word believes there is not a cognitive belief, it is a belief with the whole person. It is a trust. It is putting my weight on what Jesus has said. Everyone who believes in Him will not perish but will have eternal life. How much more gracious can you get than that? I can't think of anything that would be more fair and more just and more gracious than what Jesus says is necessary for us to get to heaven. If I take this stool and I set this stool here and I tell you I'm trusting in this stool Am I trusting in this stool? No. I'm telling you I'm trusting in the stool, but I'm not trusting in the stool. What if I go and tell every single person I know that stool is the best stool in the world? It will support any amount of weight. It will support your weight. It will support my weight. It will support both of our weights together. It is the best stool in the universe. You should trust that stool. You should trust your weight on that stool. You should do that. Does that mean I'm trusting that stool? No, it means I'm telling others to trust the stool. What about this? Am I trusting this stool now? What happens if that stool falls? I'm still okay. I'm ambidextrous. I can do multiple things. If the stool falls, I'm still good. I'm not trusting the stool. But what happens if I take this stool... And I sit down on this stool. Am I trusting this stool now? Yeah. As goes the stool, so goes me. If the stool supports me, I'm supported. I'm good. I'm safe. If the stool breaks, I'm sunk. I'm going to fall. I'm putting my entire weight. I'm putting 180 pounds on this stool right now. And this stool is holding me up. I'm trusting this stool. I'm believing in this stool. I'm putting my weight on that stool. When Jesus invites us to trust Him, He's not just saying, believe in me. 
He's not just saying acknowledge that I'm there. He's not just saying tell others about. He's saying put the whole weight of your life on Him. Going to heaven when we die is not about what we do or don't do. It's about us putting the weight of our lives and our faith and our trust in what Jesus has already done on our behalf. And the Bible's real clear about that. And we get a little wishy-washy about it. We confuse things. We, 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 we like to think that surely it has to do with, with us to some degree. God says, nope. That's why it's called grace. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. I'm going to pray here in just a second. Um, but I want to invite you. We're going to, I'm going to do something we've never done before, I don't think. Uh, we have a baptism service today at, at uh, 1230. I'm going to invite you that if, if, if you have never put the full weight of your life and trust on Jesus, if you have never solely trusted in Jesus and nothing else, if you've never done that, I want to invite you right now to put your full weight, the full weight of your life on Jesus. I want to invite you right now to say to him, I realize that I cannot be good enough to go to heaven. I realize that I need you to forgive me. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And Jesus says the only one that can forgive our sin is him. That's why I went to the cross, to pay the moral indebtedness that our sinfulness incurred with a holy, just, perfect, righteous God. And so I just want to invite you when I pray here in just a second. If you've never done that, if you've never, we say it different ways, if you've never stepped across the line of faith, if you've never been born again, as Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, if you have never been saved, if you have never given Christ complete control of your life, if you have never done that, I just want to invite you as I pray to ask Jesus right now, to become your leader and your forgiver, to become your Lord, your Savior, as you put the full weight of your life on Him and trust Him. Because the Bible says that's the only way you or I are going to get to heaven. And then I want to invite you at 1230 to come out to the baptism, and I know we don't have the forms filled out, and I know we don't have you know, all the stuff. I just want to invite you just to be baptized today. In Jesus' day, when someone would step across the line of faith, they would immediately go find water so that they could baptize them. Not because the baptism saved them, but because the baptism immediately identified them as a Christ follower. I, was, I, I, I came to faith in Christ on August the 16th, 1981. That was on a Sunday morning. Sunday night, I got baptized. And I'm so thankful that it was, it was very closely tied to that because it, it made it, just for me, a lot more meaningful. So I just want to invite you, if you've never done that and you want to do that today, you ask Jesus to save you. And then you show up at Newbegin at 1230 and we will baptize you. And you can be 100% sure that when you die, you will go to heaven. Not because you're good, but because you're forgiven. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. And we thank you that you have made it incredibly clear in the Bible that we don't get to heaven because we're good, but that we get to heaven because we're forgiven. 
And so if anyone right now is, is asking you to forgive them, God, we rejoice with them. Because you say you will do that. Thank you, Father, that our salvation, that our relationship with you, and that our eternity does not hinge on us. Thank you that it doesn't hinge on us doing and not doing and being good, but that it hinges solely on your grace that you have offered to us. And we thank you. We pray this in the name of Christ who makes that possible. Amen. Have a great morning. Hope to see you at 1230. Next week we'll deal with two more questions. Have a good week.